You are Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On Rays podcast in Ulysses. Today, we have a very special guest, and that is Andrea. Let's try the last name here. Uh, Arca Dipani. Is that right? Yes, it's right. <laughs> okay, nailed it. That'll be the only time that I'd probably say the last name in this interview, thankfully. Um, people, you should know her more so as Scout Girl, uh, at Scout Girl Report, um, the blog, the social media, all of that. Uh, she does a tremendous job. And Andrea, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to meet you guys. Absolutely. And um, just kind of doing a little bit of background here. I try to do my research when I can, and um, I observed and read that you are from Brooklyn, New York, and I believe you're still in New York right now, but you grew up a Tampa Bay Rays fan. You have to explain to us how that happened. Sure. So um, when I was little, I wasn't really into baseball that much, uh, and I was just like a default Yankees fan. Uh, but my older cousin told me that it was boring to root for the Yankees. So we picked the last place team in the division, which at the time was the Devil Rays. And so he taught me all the players. We started watching together. And that was 2007. So like mm. perfect timing to get me hooked then in 2008. And from there, just like the fandom grew. That's that's awesome. Uh, 2007. So you're talking Carlos Pena was your 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 first, you know, introduction into a big power hitter in, in Tampa, right? Absolutely, yeah. Carlos Pena. And then I I don't remember too much now, but I think my first favorite pitcher was like Matt Garza. Uh, and then obviously Longo in 2008 was like a huge, you know, uh, exciting thing to watch. And, and so, okay, so before that happened, you said you were a Yankees fan. So what, what are some of your early baseball memories that 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 you can kind of pinpoint you know at five years old i was you know i was looking at this or seven years old sure um not much as a five-year-old <laughs> i only knew it was like derek jeter and a rod and whatever you know the new york newspaper spewed out uh which at that time who knows what the heck they were saying um but my earliest memories were probably watching with my cousin like the rays games or the devil rays games uh and it was literally just like he was teaching me everything he knew about baseball from his experience playing and watching. And like, he would quiz me on the players and stuff. So like, I would just be prepared to go to his house every day after school and like recite who was in the batting order the previous day for him. So I could prove I watched. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah. you mentioned uh, kind of becoming a devil Rays fan around 2007 and eventually, uh, you know, following Carlos Pena and, uh, Evan Longoria and other players. Did you have a de facto, hey, this is my guy. This is my favorite player. If I was going to buy a jersey or a t-shirt with this guy's name on the back, it would be this player. Longoria was my first jersey, but Matt Garza was my favorite player. Okay. I, I can't remember why, but he was. I thought he was like the best pitcher in the whole world. <laughs> he definitely had a, a mentality to him, which was appreciated. <laughs> now, what about now? Do you have a favorite race player or favorite player in baseball that you just can't get enough of as far as, you know, scouting and, and watching and just, Hey, if, if you see this at bat or this person on the mound, that it's like, I've got to follow him. Uh, I, on the Rays, I love Wander Franco. I feel like that's an obvious one, but like, I really love watching him at the plate. Like he's such amazing plate discipline. 
Um, I love DJ LeMayu. I wish the Rays went after him when he hit free agency. Like he's just such a pure hitter. Like he's just fun to watch and you could always count on him. Uh, and then I just love pitching in general. So it doesn't matter who the pitcher is, but I love looking at like different sequencing and all that kind of stuff. You mentioned Wander Franco. Uh, let's get right into it. Ulysses. What, uh, Andrea, what are your expectations for Wander this season coming off injury and, um, hopefully providing a, a much larger punch offensively, which the Rays need in 2023. I mean, his presence in the lineup is so needed, him and Brandon Lau. Um, I mean, I just, Franco, his power is valuable. Uh, he His hard hit rates at the major league level haven't been as good as I believe they were when he was in the minors, but I don't think that that's like a reason to panic just because he has been dealing with injuries and all that stuff. Um and then just like his batch of ball skills are like elite. So I think that he can have a really amazing year and I hope he bounces back from his injury and he like is the hitter that we all thought he was going to be when he came up. Is it a reasonable expectation to expect this 22 year old uh, to be the guy to carry an offense that basically was lackluster most of the year last year? Is, is that something that should be expected because you signed a $183 million contract or should fans still have some trepidation and, and understanding that this is still basically a kid? I mean, yeah, I think that is really important to keep that in mind. Um, but I do think that the contract does speak to his potential. So like, I wouldn't like, I'm not going through this looking at him and saying, Oh, he has to hit this. Otherwise the contract is a failure. It's more so just like, I know he can live up to it. So I hope he does. Um, in terms of the rest of the offense, no, it's not on his shoulders to carry the entire offense. It would be nice if they had a better offense. They Theirs is not one of the best, even in their own division. So yeah, it would be nice if we could add some improvements there. But for now, I think Franco, Lau, and like Yandy Diaz are the guys to watch. Yeah. Now, Andrea, just kind of going back into um, your background and working in baseball a little bit, you previously worked in baseball operations for the Yankees, but at least looking at your bio, you also interned for the Rays while attending Northeastern University in Boston. Can you talk about that experience of what it was like to, I guess, get to work for your favorite team growing up? Sure. So um, my school, Northeastern, had a co-op program, which is like a six-month internship where you could work somewhere that is somehow related to your major. And I was an engineering major in college, um, but the Rays are building their new ballpark. So it kind of tied in. Mm -hmm. I ended up going there uh, for six months. I had some ideas for their new ballpark. I worked in the strategy and development department. And um, I just helped with like initiatives around like looking at the site, different uh, studies, research studies and things like that, attending meetings. And then some other like miscellaneous tasks involving like spring training, uh, fan data and like things like that. But it was incredible to like work for your favorite team every day was like waking up and doing something so exciting. And I didn't know anyone there. It was my first time living alone. So it never felt like I was alone though. Every night I was at the ballpark, I was sitting by myself, like taking notes and stuff about the games. And it was just an um, unbelievable experience. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel. It is America's number one sports book. Uh, new customers get a no-sweat first bet 
for up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So just download the FanDuel Sports app. It is safe, secure, and super easy to use. So uh, FanDuel, actually I should say, additionally, FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. A lot of opportunities here at FanDuel to uh, make some money if you're interested. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet for up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Now, uh, and then obviously you eventually worked for the Yankees, but what is your ultimate career goal? Is it within the realm of baseball? Is it within civil engineering? Is it something of molding the two? Is it still trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up? Kind of, what do you, what do you want to, do you want to be the next female GM? What is it? I'm in the last year working for the Yankees. It was such an amazing experience and it was like one of the first times that I really felt passionate about what I was doing. And I did feel like uh, like I could have a spot in baseball operations somewhere down the line, but right now just waiting for the right opportunity to open up and doing my own thing just to make an income. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've all been there. Um, Talking about baseball operations and and your internship, what was the most surprising thing about being in in the baseball industry that that you didn't see coming or that you thought was going to be done a different way? What, What was that most surprising thing? Sure. Um, I think the most surprising thing was just the sheer amount of information that they have. Um, it was like, I mean, especially for a baseball, like data nerd walking into that was like unbelievable. I mean, anything, any player you wanted to know about, you could know about them in 30 seconds. Hmm. And it was just wow. like really cool. The the video, the stats, like all that stuff, it, it's right at your fingertips. And it's one of the things I, I miss most about, you know, just having all that information. It's much harder to find, like, across multiple sites here um, if it's available at all. Yeah, and just kind of following up on that, I know that you can't reveal too much about working within the various organization of the Yankees. But um, is that, like, where you can look up any and all information on a player in 30 seconds, is it so much more robust than the average fan going on Google and typing in baseball savant and going on fan graphs? Is it like blow your mind level of information compared to the average Joe going and, Hey, I want to look up DJ LeMayhew's savant page. And I want to go look up YouTube videos of him, whatever, maybe film MLB film room. I mean, I think it is just because like, that's the whole purpose of the company. Like I think with any company, mm-hmm. like your database uh, should be easily accessible and like easy to get the information you need. So it's the same concept, except with a baseball team. And let's turn it 180 degrees. What was the least favorite aspect of, of working in baseball? Obviously, you, you've talked about the positives, but what, what was a little bit of, of, of the negatives? Uh, I would say uh, the negative was like the amount of time that you put into it. Hmm. Um, which like obviously working in baseball is like a really cool experience and everyone there is passionate about it and excited and you don't mind like working those long hours, like when the time comes or when you're, you know, trying to get a win every night. 
Um, but it is like a huge sacrifice, especially like during the summer, during the, the fall when all your friends are doing things, when your family has events and, and you can't go to those just because you have responsibilities, which again is the case for a lot of jobs, but it is like very intensive and you need to put in a lot, a lot of hours. Can you give us a day in the life when you were in it? What time did you wake up? How was your commute? At what time were you coming back? Did you even take a 30-minute lunch? What, what what was your life like when you were really into it? Sure. It depends on the time time of year. So, like, I'll talk about during the season because I think that's, like, the, the busiest period. Sure. Um, but if it was a, a home game, meaning there was a game that night, I would wake up around maybe 7.30 or 8 a.m., uh, do my responsibilities at home, like meal prep or walk my dog and then head to the office. I lived a little far away, which was my fault, but it is what it is. Um, and then really from the time I got in, I was there until after the game ended, maybe later sometimes, and then like repeat the next day. So it was very busy. Uh, we didn't take, I personally did not take lunches um, just cause you know, some days were lighter than others, but like I, like wanted to get ahead. Like I wanted to go above and beyond and try to gain as much from the experience as possible. Uh, and then we usually took a break for dinner. Like we would go as a group and go gotcha. eat uh, with the food that they gave us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So these were like 10, 11 hour days. Yeah. Very long days plus weekends and you know, all that stuff. And the days were long uh, on non-game days too, but it was just not as fun, I guess, because there wasn't yeah. a game. <laughs> uh, Andrea, you've interned with the Rays. You've worked for the Yankees. You have a very successful um, outlet as far as just in the new age media end of things. Do you have any advice for people that are trying to look to break into the baseball industry, whether it's on the media side or working for the organization side, and even more so for a woman trying to, to you know, break the glass ceiling there as well? Yeah, um, I will say no matter which way you try to get in, it's very difficult um, and it's difficult to stay in the industry as well. Uh, I am not sure what the media path looks like beyond my blog. Um, so I guess I could speak to that, which is just like I posted consistently mm -hmm. and I made an effort to go like beyond a casual fan's knowledge and try to look at research and look at all this stuff to try to build something unique, which was not easy. Um, and it took a lot of effort on top of, I was working full time. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. No. I, I remember one of your first videos ever was the, um, maybe it wasn't your first video. It was the first one that caught my attention. Um, it was an arbitration for Ryan Yarbrough. Um, yeah. how, how did you, is that what made you pop off? Like what was the first content that really got you, you know, uh, in, in the Twitter sphere? Yeah, that was the first one that really gained some popularity. I was doing things here and there before that, but I hit a point where it was like it wasn't going anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. My, I don't think the stuff I was putting out was unique at all or good enough. I, I'm pretty hard on myself, if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> but I was trying to find like a unique topic that would at least get some interest. And my goal at the time was not to break into the industry. It was just I want to meet other baseball fans and be taken seriously. So... Um, I thought about like an interesting topic that week, Ryan Yarbrough lost his case and everyone was talking about it. So I went on, I went to the CBA on MLB's website and it basically outlines how arbitration is done. 
So from there, I like built out the video and then Yancey Eaton, who's a popular guy on Twitter, retweeted it and then John Boy retweeted it. And that's when it really like took off and I was able to gain like the base of a following to get noticed. And, and when you talk about arbitration, obviously the race avoided some arbitration trouble. Um, it seems that they're not um, as harsh as other clubs are. Obviously the Cor 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 um, Corbin Burns interview kind of, uh, stands out as maybe the outlier in negativity and, you know, basically saying, hey, you're the reason why we didn't make it to the playoffs. Like, that seems kind of harsh. Did you find in your research for, for that video past instances where maybe the club went a little bit too harsh on the player? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of instances of that um, where things are brought up where you didn't need to bring them up. It, it was It's inappropriate or... Like, it's not going to sway the argument, so why even mention it? At least that's my opinion. Like, in Corbin Burns's case, they said he was the reason they didn't make the postseason. I looked into that. I don't even know how that makes sense. I went as far as looking at, like, were the games he lost in September deciding games for their club, and they weren't. So I don't even know how they got that argument. But, like, if you just use the salary structure and past players and all that stuff in the process that it outlines, you should be able to have a strong enough argument to win on either side yeah, right now andrea when you were working with the yankees assisting with arbitration player evaluation identifying players of interest was there there a particular aspect of that role that you enjoyed and relished the most that you like really got you, you really sunk your teeth into yeah um i uh, had the opportunity to work on aaron judge's arbitration case that was a really cool experience and one that I'm really glad did not amount to anything. Like we ended up settling, so we didn't go mm -hmm. to trial. Um, but I thought that was a really cool and unique experience, especially I had interest in arbitration. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, evaluating prospects was really exciting. Um, learning how to evaluate like an 18 year old and how that's different from a 22 year old. And, you know, all that stuff from different backgrounds, different leagues. And, and that was just something that was really interesting. And, and as far as that evaluation aspect, is that something where you have some base level knowledge going in and then who you're working for or under kind of takes you under their wing to provide a bigger picture or more details of this is how you this is a, a good way or, or some of the tools to evaluate those types of players? I think it's a combination of both. Um, I don't think that you could get that position without having a base of baseball and a proven mm -hmm. record of knowing how to evaluate players at some level or, you know, as long as it's logical. Uh, and then when I was there, I would, I had a good relationship with my boss and we would talk about like different players, how to evaluate them. And I was really trained by him. That's great. And then following up on that a little bit. So, and I don't know, this might be a question you're not allowed to answer, but I'll ask it regardless. Um, as far as getting your role with the Yankees and maybe even back to interning with the Rays, sitting in that interview room to get that position, what were the the types of things or questions that they ask you? Is it, you know, uh, explaining baseball terms? Is it providing scenarios? Just what is it? like sitting in that inter interview room as a potential uh, internship candidate or part-time, full-time candidate, just um, if you can sort of set the stage with that. Sure. Um, they were very different processes. Uh, I think in, just in general, baseball operations has a very different interview process than uh, like a position on the business side. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So I don't even remember my interview with the Rays. I actually got that position because I wrote them a letter. So oh, it just kind of happened like organically as opposed to like uh, doing an application. Mm-hmm. So I can't speak on that. But uh, the Yankees, similar, they reached out to me about the position after noticing my stuff on Twitter. And then uh, I went through like a, a couple of rounds of interviews, a couple of questionnaires that they have, which is pretty common for a lot of teams. And then just uh, the in-person interview with like a panel of, of guys that work there. Interesting. And um, Ulysses, we will eventually talk about, uh, or uh, we'll, we'll ask some questions uh, to Andrea about um, prospecting the Rays and, and looking at their strengths and weaknesses and so forth. But I did want to get your perspective on this. Obviously, um, Andrea, there's been a lot of shifts in baseball over the years, I guess, literally and figuratively, where, you know, trying to find that next uh, inefficiency or that next frontier, that next advantage, you know, you had the the Moneyball era with the athletics, you had the advent of shifting, you have what the Rays have been doing with, uh, you know, using a, a bullpen heavy approach. Um, in your time, covering and working in baseball do you have sort of an idea what that next frontier is what that next market inefficiency is that teams are starting to or going to eventually try to adopt to get that edge over the competition that's a tough question um i'm not sure i think that especially recently we've been seeing kind of like swings back and and forward to the same things like for Mm -hmm. example like a few years ago sinkers were out of style and everyone was throwing a four seam fastball and now sinkers are suddenly back and they're amazing so i think we see those swings uh that happen you know every so often that's just how baseball is but yeah in my opinion i think maybe like sports science or player development has some low-hanging fruit that can be improved through technology like if some teams have technology that other teams don't that's probably an advantage but i do think that everyone is like catching up to analytics where at a certain point there's not going to be a ton left else to find. Yeah. What's interesting and, and something I've heard uh, previously is, you know, maybe part of it is uh, really focusing on, on player health. And um, I, I think it was, who was it? Ryan Thompson, who's lost his arbitration case. And he, he suggested the raise use that extra yeah. $200,000 to buy cryotherapy and some other, uh, fitness workout equipment. So maybe that's something is, you know, really trying to identify players based on medical reports and past history and, and body types, whatever it may be. And just, you know, how they generally take care of themselves of like, Hey, we, we want guys that are going to be able to post and stay healthy. That might be something that is looked at going forward too. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I'm sure, you know, player health is very important as you know, Rays fans kind of know from uh, the past year and, and years before that as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. In fact, I think like you might be able to take it one step further with like if there is a team that can anticipate whether someone will get injured or is like injury prone per Mm -hmm. se, then they could make more informed decisions about whether or not they can acquire them for certain roles. Yeah, uh, we we talked about um, that with Blake Hunt uh, when we had him on the show a couple of seasons ago. Um, he he told us that he was wearing this watch that basically the his rhythm of, uh, of his heart, the the sleep, everything was being measured, and the race were really into that. So um, maybe maybe that's something to it. And I want to I, I agree with you with the four seam and the sinker. Um, 
I, this might be a, a silly um, simile, but I'll say it regardless. It's kind of like fashion. You know, you, you look at the, the 70s and 80s, really short shorts, you know, uh, guys playing basketball, you know, look at 1988, Michael Jordan. And then you look at uh, Allen Iverson in 2000, long shorts, you know, and then now it's coming back up. Everything is kind of like ebbing and flowing. And, you know, I think maybe we're going to be seeing a little bit more of athleticism um, with, with the new um, – with the new rules, but um, I do want to t- uh, ask you about stats, new age stats and, and analytics. Um, I think, like Kevin said, if you're a baseball nerd, which uh, I think we all identify as one on this podcast, um, we, 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 we dive into fan graphs, we, we dive into baseball ref, we dive into StatCast, uh, Savant. What are some of those new age stats that maybe most fans um, don't pay attention to but they should, or at least they should start learning what it means and how it can help them see some value into a player that they don't really recognize as valuable. It's a big question with a lot of answers. Um, <laughs> but I think any stat that helps you identify like the common sense questions, I think is important. So what I mean by that is like, if you're evaluating a hitter, like what do you want in a hitter? You want someone who could hit the ball. So like, that's, it's obvious, but like the stats that help you figure that out are like contact rate. Like that's an important stat for a hitter, uh, especially contact rate on pitches in zone. Mm-hmm. And then similar to that, like, are they able to walk or do they constantly strike out? And if they strike out a lot, why? Like, are they chasing pitches? So chase percent is coming into play. Um, and then like, how do they hit the ball when they make contact? And that's when like the exit velocity comes in the launch angles, like those scary words that like all they're doing is indicating the player's ability to like do damage and get meaningful hits. Um, so there are like, a, you know, obviously a lot of advanced stats like ex-WOBA is a good one. Uh, war is a little old now, but still good. Um, those tell like a general picture, but I always think it's more valuable to like dive in and see the actual skill sets, like the power of the bat to ball and the ability to walk. And I don't think you need like a super advanced knowledge of stats to understand those. Just, you know, taking a look in and seeing like, why is this player good beyond like the OPS or the the batting average? 